Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. It's so good to be with you, C2 Church. Hope you're doing well this morning. I'm Pastor Jeremy. We are diving into a new series called Collide, and it's going to take us right up uh, through Easter. And so like that video said, invite someone to church. They're most likely to accept uh, if you don't ask like that video shows. So that's a, a what not to do video. But I'm looking forward to Easter. I hope you are as well. Encourage you to join us tonight as we pray for our Easter service Uh, at six o'clock tonight. We're having a prayer meeting, and love for you to come out and spend some time uh, with us in prayer. Go from about six to about seven thirty, and I know that's always the big question when you call a prayer meeting and you don't set it like a an ending time. People think, "Oh, I'm going to be here till midnight," which is okay. You can totally be here till midnight. Let's just set the alarm on your way out. We appreciate that. Uh, We hope you'll join us tonight for that. So we're diving into a new series called Collide, When Worldviews Collide. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk a little bit about some worldviews and and how we view Scripture in light of the things that we see and encounter in our culture, which sometimes the world's worldview, our cultural worldview, is different than a scriptural worldview. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So we use this uh, this word, uh word, worldview, say that ten times fast. A worldview is simply how you view and interpret reality and and events. It's it's how you view the world. It then helps you or hurts you, I should say, in determining how you behave. It's what you believe to be true. And all those things begin to affect how you behave, the relationships you have, what you think is possible. It's all part of your worldview. Your worldview is developed through education, through your upbringing at home, which certainly could include religious instruction of some sort. Your worldview is influenced by your own experiences and certainly influenced by the culture and the media uh, that informs that. Some examples of worldviews could be humanism or hedonism or pluralism, anything nearly with an ism probably. There's a lot of isms out there. So what is a uh, Christian worldview? What, how do we view the world as Christians? I like what Josh McDowell says in his book, The Last Christian Generation. He discusses the idea that Christianity is not merely a belief system. It's not a religion based solely on teachings or instruction. But it is based on the life and the character and the identity of a person. And that person Jesus Christ. This is what Christianity is based on. It's based on Christ. Religions are based on teachings. If you take the teacher away, most religions will continue to exist because they are based on teachings. Christianity is different. While our theological construct is based on Scripture, The essential basis is the life, work, and person of Jesus Christ. And this is the fundamental difference in Christianity and a Christian worldview. You remove Christ and there is no faith. There is no Christianity. Christian worldview is is all about how I relate to Jesus, not just his teachings. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No person comes to Father God except through me. In this, he is summing up the fact that he is not just a teacher, 
but he is the way to all truth and all life. He declares that he is the only way to God the Father. And we believe in the authority of Scripture because Jesus not only taught it, but he lived it and fulfilled it. Our social media quote for the day, if you got your smart device, whip it out, turn it on. You can follow along on the version live. But here's our social media quote of the day. My worldview is really a kingdom view, and Christ is the center. I, I think sometimes I get trapped in thinking of a worldview which is very small. It can be very small. And so as I was studying over the last couple of weeks, I really came to this concept as the Lord was leading me in my own studies to have a kingdom view. The kingdom of God is vast. It's not just my little world. And to have a kingdom view is also to have a Christ-centered view of the world. As we go along in our series, you can certainly uh, use the hashtag uh, C2 Collide as we, as we follow along. If you have questions, you can post that, and we'll try to answer those as we go along over the next few weeks. As we talk about faith in a Christ-centered worldview, it's not just a Christian worldview. And I, I, I'm making, I know it's semantics in some regard to say a Christ-centered worldview versus a Christian worldview. But I, I think in our culture, Christian has come to mean nice and good and following the rules Attending church, this is what a Christian worldview, well, I'm nice, and I, I believe in a God, and, so there, and I, I live in America, and so I, have a, I, have a, I am a Christian by, by default. I, I think that word has been watered down, and so I want to use the term Christ-centered worldview, because Christ-centered means living for Christ and becoming like Him. And one of the great worldview questions, at least in our culture, that we want to address is the question, are Faith and science at odds. Do they really indeed collide? Is, is one opposed to the other? Joining me today on stage is Dr. Tim Glass. He is the professor of chemistry at MIZ. There you go. Sorry, Columbia College. I, didn't, I don't have anything for you today. Welcome, Tim. Thanks for being with us today. Sure. This, this is going to be a little bit different than the normal preaching session because I get to sit down and, and listen, uh, or at least try to listen. I've occasionally threatened to give my, my, my uh, classroom lectures from a seated position. The students, just, they weird, weirds them out. So. When you sit down, yeah. You, you, sit lo- down you lose all authority when you sit down. Yeah, I understand. Well, thanks for being with us today. So you are a professor of chemistry at Mizzou, and you're also the associate something. Or- Chair of graduate studies. Chair. It's one of those things, if, 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 if anyone knows about the director of graduate studies, they always feel sorry for you because it's such a, <laughs> a pain of a job to do, but yeah. I like the word chair, though. <laughs> it reminds us of sitting down. Anyway, yes. I, get, I get sidetracked. You know, I did, I did think this morning in talking with you that I, I should wear like a, a, a tweed jacket with the leather elbow <laughs> patches because it would make me more academic, but I don't have that. So. That's all right. So we're going to have a little bit of a conversation this morning, and I asked you to share some thoughts that we've discussed um, in the last couple weeks. And I want to kind of set up our conversation over the next few weeks. It's not about proving God or disproving science or, or vice versa or giving you cause to defend or attack the people of opposite viewpoints, because certainly you will run into people who, who don't hold the same worldview. You've probably run into this mindset, and... and Maybe you can talk to us a little bit about uh, running into this thought that you can't possibly be a Christian and a scientist. Yeah. Right? Oh, certainly. I mean, you know, obviously I'm a 
Christian. I'm a, I also am a scientist. I mean, I go every day to work and, and, and work on science. I mean, I remember when my, my grandfather asked me when I was really young what I wanted to do when I grew up. I told him I was either going to be a pastor or a scientist. Those were my options. And at some point, I realized that I was better at science than a lot of people I knew. I just liked it a lot. And so I felt maybe that was a gift God gave me, so I decided to go into science, and I went off and got a, a degree in chemistry, and, and I do that. Um, uh, but, you know, I don't really have a problem with being a scientist and, and, and having a faith in Jesus. I mean, I, it's, it really, to me, it's, there's no real problem with that at all. You know, our jobs are actually very similar. Pastoring is full of experiments. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't tell the people that, though. It's my little secret. So as a scientist and as a Christian, how do you view Scripture in light of science and in light of your studies? That's a, that's a good question. I mean, you know, um, you know I was, I, I've, I've had a very strong faith since, since I was young, and so I, when I re- look at the Bible, it's, it's, you know, God's word to us. It's authoritative. It's infallible. It's, it's, it's the truth, right? Um, how, does, how do I look at it in view of science? Um, you know, I don't know that God was really trying to teach us science in the Bible. I mean, I think that he always tended to meet people where they were, right? So, sure. you know, people, I mean, we're all pretty dumb. I mean, compared to what God knows about <laughs> science, we don't know anything. And I don't think he ever really meant to teach us stuff when he talked to us. He would just say, okay, this is where you're at. I'll talk to you at that level. Right. And so I don't think he really ever meant to teach us science of the Bible. Um, but, you know, I can look at the Bible and I can think about things in view of what I know about science. And it's kind of cool for me. But I don't really see there's being much of a problem there either. Right. I think some people think that the Bible is a scientific document. And it, it really isn't. And I agree with you that it's truth, but it wasn't necessarily meant to be all science contained in that. And so when things are not addressed in Scripture or from the human standpoint that's surely Holy Spirit inspired, but it's still a human writing it, they write these observations right. about the sun. And, you know, there's these arguments. Well, obviously, they're, it's not true because they observed something and said it this way. Well, that, I agree with you. And, that's, the way they, that's the way they saw it. That's how they saw it, right. That's where they were at. So... Are science and faith at odds with each other? I mean, has a- anyone ever challenged you on that? Like, you can't, you can't possibly be a scientist and a Christian. I mean, oh, oh, sure. I mean, when I, when I was going through college and grad school, I think most people that knew me knew that I was a Christian. Um, I, I don't think it wasn't until grad school that someone actually challenged me on it. I mean, I, I, I did my PhD at Stanford, and there are a lot of kind of, how do I want to say this, arrogant people? Stanford? Is that, maybe that's not a bad thing to say. I shouldn't say that in church, but that's true. <laughs> and there was one guy who, like, he, you know, we if were it's actually, true, you can say it. <laughs> that's true. We were, we were in, a, in a larger group with my research lab, and, um, and one guy kind of just sort of pinned me on it. So, do you believe in the Bible? I'm like, yeah, I believe in the Bible. He says, do you believe in all the miracles as written in the Bible? And I said, yeah, I believe in all the miracles. And it was clear that he was trying to make me look like an idiot in front of everybody else because there's no way that these miracles could really be true for someone who knew what, you know, knew about science and was as smart as he was. And so, you know, it was pretty clear to me that there are a lot of people out there who look down on folks who have, have a faith in the Bible and things like that. Um, but um, for me at that time, I mean... I, I started, actually started thinking, and even before then, I started thinking about, you know, how do I reconcile what I know about science and the world around us with what I read in the Bible? And it's, it's kind of, um, you know, I thought about it over the years, and I've kind of come up with some things. And I remember really distinctly, several years ago, I was sitting down with my kid's table, and, and they were, we were talking about some Bible stories and some miracles, and I just started, started showing them a little bit about how I think about the Bible, and it's kind of, kind of cool. So, um, 
please blow my mind. <laughs> I, it I, doesn't take a lot. <laughs> Jeremy asked me to, to talk about this. So if, if, you'll, ex- if you'll excuse me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a little demo here. So this is my little setup. Because um, you can imagine me at, at, my, at the kitchen table with my kids trying to describe you know, God and miracles and things to them. And so I, um, I, I have this little thing that I did with them and I, that it kind of I, I was taught when I was in college. So the way I think about this is I always think about God being sort of, you know, bigger than us. And I always, you know, we, we live in three dimensions. I always think of God as being four-dimensional. And you tell that to your, your you know, t- your, your preteen. They look at you and like, what does that mean, daddy? And, you know, I have no idea how to explain this to a, to a teenager. But when I, was in, when I was in college, they taught us how to deal with these kind of issues, trying to think about things that are bigger than your brain can, can wrap around by looking at things that are smaller and seeing how that works. So when I was, so I took a class in non-Euclidean geometry, they introduced us to this guy called Flatman. And so here's my Flatman. Um, he's a two-dimensional creature. So if you're looking for, like, a three-point sermon today, this is not it. So just sort of <laughs> sit back, relax, and just work with me. Maybe you'll get something out of this when it's all over. But what we, what we talk about is we have this little two-dimensional guy. He's flat. Um, you know, I, I'm three-dimensional. I live in three dimensions. You know, you can easily see that because, you know, I can go forward and backward and left and right and up and down. Those are the three dimensions. And I live in three dimensions. But this guy, he's flat. He's paper thin, right? He only lives in two. He can go forward, backward, and left and right. But he's infinitely thin, and he doesn't exist in the up and down. So if he lives in the world, he could live. We usually put him on a plane, so like this tabletop. And that's why I have this little camera up here. You can kind of see it's a little wacky, but... You can kind of see this little guy. He can move around on the table. He can go left and right and forward and backward like that. But he can't move up and down. He's stuck on the plane because he's flat. In fact, he can't even look up and down. He can't see anything that's above the plane and table. All he can see is what's right in front of him because he's a two-dimensional creature. And so we like to talk about, you know, what does that look like to this guy? Well, if he lives on this little tabletop here, he can see things that are on the table. So he can see this water bottle. But really, because he's flat, all he can see is what's directly in front of him, in front of him, and, and he can see this sort of clear circle on the table, and he can bounce into it, and he can see that it's hard. But all he sees is a clear circle that's on the tabletop, which is touching the table. He can't see up, so he has no idea that there's water in this thing. He has no idea that it's tall. You know, it's you know, six inches tall or anything like that. He has no concept of up. All he can see is this circle here. And if he looks over here, you can see a coffee cup, right? So this is my coffee cup here. Um, and if he sees a coffee cup, all he sees is a white circle here. He can look around it and he can say, okay, well, there's a white circle. And if he came over to my iPad, all he would see is a black rectangle. You can't see my iPad on that screen, but it's okay. So all he sees is what's directly in front of him on his little world of this table. He's flat. So it's kind of interesting to think about what this flat man is like and maybe you can, th- you can use this to sort of understand a little bit about how we are. So let's think about Flatman. He's got his little flat world on this table. And now I wanted to come up and look at Flatman. So I'm a three-dimensional person, and I look at Flatman, and I can look down on him, and I can see his entire world in one glance. I can see Flatman, I can see his insides, I can see his outsides, I can see his whole table, and I can see everything about him in just one glance. It's kind of cool. Now let's imagine I wanted to talk to Flatman. So he's sitting here just hanging out by this this clear circle and by his white circle and by his little black rectangle thing. He doesn't know what they are, but they've always been there. So I can kind of get down and I can talk to him and I can say, hello, Mr. Flatman. And what's he going to do, right? He can't look up. He can't see me, but he can only hear me, right? So he's going to spin around. He's going to look around. He's going to say, 
you know, that's weird. So I go down and say, hello, Mr. Flatman. He's going to look around again, like, who is that? And he might say something like, who are you and where are you? So what do I say? Well, my name is Tim. But where am I? I can't say I'm up here because I didn't even have a word up. So I could say, well, I'm really nearby you, but I'm invisible to you. Okay? That's about as close as I'm going to get to Mr. Flatman because he's a very simple guy. And so, you know, he's looking around. He's thinking, okay, so there's this invisible guy. Hmm. So tell me what you're like. That's a, you know, he might ask me, what am I like? How do I describe myself to a guy who's flat? You know, I'm, what, a foot and a half thick, and I'm, you know, a foot <laughs> wide, six foot tall. Well, I mean, he might get thick and wide, right? Because he's, what, you know, two inches by two inches. He might get thick and wide, but he has no word for tall. Because he's not tall. He's infinitely thin. So I am way bigger than he is. Even if I was five foot two, I'd be way bigger, way bigger than he is. So, I mean, in fact, if you think about it, I'm infinitely bigger than he is. So I would look down and I'd say, well, my name is Tim, and I am way, way bigger than you. I'm infinitely bigger than you are. And he's going to think about that for a minute, and he's going to say to me, so you're infinitely bigger than me, but you're still invisible. That's kind of weird. And he's going to be really skeptical about this. And that's cool. Okay, because that but doesn't make a lot of sense that how someone can be infinitely large or than him, but still not, he might be able to see him. And so he might say, well, what can you do if you're so big? Well, that's a good question. What can I do? Well, I can do a lot of things that he can't possibly see. I can do all kinds of stuff. But what could he see? Well, if I, I could say, okay, well, watch this. I could pick up this water bottle and I can move it over. And that's going to really freak him out. <laughs> Because as far as he's known, those, those, those circles have never moved, right? They are immovable objects as far as he knows. Oh, my gosh. He's now nuts. He can actually go in between them now, and before they were too close together for him to fit. So that's just crazy to him. And so he would say back to me, wow, you can do amazing things because I moved a water bottle. And then if we talked a little bit longer... I don't know how much issues you can see. I've been should be paying attention to what you can see on the little camera. But if you if we talk a little longer, he may admit to me that he's sick. So what does that mean? Well, he's a flat man, so he's a little different than most. But what he'll say is that I feel bad most of the time, he says. And other flat people have told me that that probably means I have a hole in me. Um, and because they have seen this happen to other flat people, that hole gets larger until the flat person dies. So he said, I'm sick and I'm probably going to die. Well, if I look down at him, you can see there's a hole in the middle of this flat man. And that's, that's fair, right? So I can look at that and say, well, you know, it's just a hole in a flat man. That's not hard. I could probably fix that. I can get out pencil and I can get out pa- paper and scissors and I can make a little hole thingy. I can stick it on there and there you go. You're fixed. So there you go, Mr. Flatman. You're fixed. Well, he's going to completely lose it because now he <laughs> suddenly feels better, right? So suddenly he's healed. He didn't see me. He has no idea what happened. He just suddenly feels better. It's completely freaked out because now he's, 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 he's healed. And he'll, he'll say to me, wow, you're a miracle worker because I got a piece of paper and a scissors and I made a, a little hole for him. I mean, it wasn't hard. I learned how to do that in kindergarten. <laughs> you see where I'm going with this? Now, <clears throat> let's imagine after a while he presses me on this. He says, okay, look, is there any way you could show me, show yourself to me? Okay, Mr. Flatman, I could show myself to you. Let's give this a try. So I'll take three fingers, and I'll put them down here. Now, what's he going to do? He's going he's to freak out again, because suddenly there was nothing there. I put three fingers down on the table, and suddenly he can see 
three fingertips in front of him. Now, all he sees are the circles of my tips of my fingers touching the table. That's all he can see. But they weren't there a second ago, and now they are. And he's going to say, wow, Tim, there are three of you. (laughs) Right? He sees this circle there, this circle there, and this circle there. There must be three of me. No, Mr. Flatman, there's only one of me. And he's going to look at that again. One, two, three. Huh, you must be the three in one, Tim. (laughs) What am I going to say to that? I mean, do I want to try to explain to him that I got fingers that are a hand that's attached to a body that's controlled by a head? I mean, he's not going to get any of that. So what am I going to say? All right, Mr. Flatman, let's just go with that. You can call me the three in one, Tim. I'm good with that. So you can kind of see how this is going to go. Now, let's imagine at some point um, I go off and, I don't know, teach a lecture or something. That's what I do. <clears throat> and so he's sitting here, and he's contemplating the Tim that he's met. And then along comes um, another flat person. This is flat woman. You know? <laughs> and he's kind of looking at flat woman saying, ooh, look at those curves. <laughs> and she's saying, ooh, what rugged edges, you know. <laughs> you laugh. I dare you to tell me that you think any differently than they do. It's true. And he's going to try to chat up this flat woman, right? So what is he going to say? He's going to say, have you met the Tim? And she'll say, no, I've never met the Tim. And he'll say, oh, he's amazing. He's this infinitely large person that's invisible. And he can do miracles and heal people. And when he appears, there's three of them. And what's she going to do? She's going to back away slowly. (laughs) Because the flat man's nuts, right? He's absolutely crazy. Because that's not possible. It's absolutely silly to think that there's somebody who's infinitely large and visible that can, you know, appear as three people and make amazing things happen. And there's nothing that flat man can do to convince flat woman that I exist. Because the only way for her to understand that I exist is if I show myself to her. He can't point up to to me so so she can see me because he can't see up. He has no word for up. There's nothing he can do to prove to her that I'm there. She has to experience me to know that I'm there. At the same token, if she were to tell him, you know, you've been you know, drinking the wrong water here, there's no way that the, there's anybody who, who can do the things you say. There's no way to convince him that he's wrong because he's experienced me and he's convinced. Does it make sense? I think you can all kind of see where I'm going with this. So this is how I teach my kids about reality, if you will. So um, maybe we can sort of think about this, back that up a little bit, and talk about, you know, what does that mean for us? So now we're, you know, let's imagine... We're three-dimensional, and God's four-dimensional, right? So he's infinitely larger than us. Is it that hard to imagine a God who's so much bigger than us, infinitely bigger than us? Even if he was five foot two, he'd be infinite in a fourth dimension. He'd be infinitely larger than we were. Um, and, And that he could see by looking at one glance, he can see our entire world. He can see us inside and out in one glance. It doesn't take much, right? Excuse me, I'm getting dry. Um, So you can imagine that kind of a God. And it's not that hard to imagine that if God, if you hear that still small voice whisper to you, you know, my my child, I love you, I'm always near you, and you don't see anybody, is it that hard to imagine a God who's, you know, infinitely large, is still that close to you, and can still be near you, and still talk to you? Does Does that make sense? And if God shows himself to us as three persons, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's kind of weird, right? A little bit. Think about three gods and three, three persons and one God. 
Maybe God is so much more complicated than you could imagine that three gods is as simple as he could make it. Three persons in God is as simple as he could make it for us. And there's just way more than, than that to God. And if we ever tried to imagine it, our heads would explode. Jeremy was talking about that last week. I think that's exactly. So um, I don't know. To me, that's how I sort of think about God. And that's how I sort of rationalize God. I mean, and, and then you have, you know, the things in the, in the, in the Bible, the miracles. You know, if, if you have a mountain in front of you, and, you know, you, it takes a lot of faith to think that God is going to move, could move that mountain. But to God, it's just a speck of dust on the ground. It's, it's just, just a, a water bottle. It's just a water bottle. They could pick it up and move it, you know, just a flick. Hmm. It would be easy. And if you're sick, you know, just how much, how much faith does it take to, to pray to God to heal you? But, you know, God, can, God doesn't have to root around inside you to try to figure out what's wrong. He, one glance, and he can see everything about you. And he can say, oh, yeah, I can see exactly where you're messed up. And you know what? He learned how to fix you in kindergarten. Is that, is that a sacrilegious thing to say? <laughs> God went to kindergarten. I mean, he knows it's easy for him to fix that, right? It's pretty simple. So to me, it kind of makes that, gives you that sort of perspective. And, you know, if you look at the miracles in the Bible, you know, an angel appears to people in the Bible. How hard is that for God, right? He just takes his finger and goes, there I am, right? It's not that hard for an angel to appear to someone. Now, to my, my, my uh, um, esteemed colleague at Stanford, that's nuts, to me, it's obvious. Does that make sense to you? He just doesn't choose to look at it that way. So <clears throat> anyway, I think, it's, um, I think that's kind of how I see God. Now, you may meet people who don't know, who don't believe in God, and, that, and that's cool. You're not going to be able to prove to them that, that God exists. They have to experience God for themselves, but you can point them to that, that way, and you can, point, you can tell them about your experience, and, and you can point them in that direction. However, you may also meet people who don't believe in God. And there are many people, especially scientists, who are convinced that there is no God. And they will tell you, there are some really smart people who will tell you, you have to choose between faith and science because you can't do both. You know, that's just crazy in my opinion. If someone tells you that science has shown that God doesn't exist, they are by definition wrong because science can't show that. You know, there's no way, there's no experiment a scientist can do to say there's nothing in a fourth dimension because we can't even look there. So if my God lives in four dimensions, then there's no, there's no experiment a scientist can do to disprove that that God is there. Um, and the only way they're going to see him if they experience him, but they can't tell you for sure they're not there. So I guess that's kind of the way I sort of think about those things. Um, um, I also think there are people, and this is a little bit more, um, I'm not sure, relevant or whatever, but... I definitely have met people who go kind of the opposite direction with this, where they'll say, well, you know, I have the Bible, and I'm happy with the Bible, and science we don't, is completely unnecessary and just nonsense. And I don't believe that either. I mean, I'm a scientist. I really think that it, it, science is cool. And I think the Bible does speak to that. So I have a couple of scriptures. If science I can is cool, Tim. Sci- yeah, I think science is cool. You should get a T-shirt. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a scripture, Romans 1, 19 through 20, um, Maybe I can read it up there. It says, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Since, um, what, oops, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. I think it's cool to think that God, God, some of God's qualities and attributes are plain in his creation. And so I love looking around in God's creation and seeing God's fingerprint on what he's made. I mean, the more I look into science, the more I am in awe of God 
and the more I don't understand about how it works. It's kind of crazy how that happens. But it's true. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. I think that that's really true for me, that you know, in, in, in doing my science, I can see God's glory. I get jazzed every day to go to work and to study more about the world around me. And I get, I get, the, I get the impression that God gets a kick out of me poking around and fumbling around in my science and trying to understand stuff that are way beyond me. I don't know. I think that's true. Um, there's another scripture that I really like. One of my buddies used this as the, uh, the start of his PhD thesis in biochemistry. It's Proverbs 25.2. And it says, um, It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, to search out a matter, is the glory of kings. And Jerry pointed out to me that, you know, the kings there could be kings like the three kings who came to find Jesus. You know, they saw this star in the sky, and they wanted to see what, what was going on there. What was God doing? So they went looking for Jesus. I think that's the old-day scientist, right? That's what you would call them. In fact, the message um, translates or transliterates the Proverbs 25.2 to say, God delights in concealing things. Scientists delight in discovering things. I think that's a good modern way of describing that. That's good. It's pretty cool. So, I mean, that's all I had. I wanted to kind of just wrap it up a little bit from what I want to say. You might look at me and say, Does, you know, you really think God lives in four dimensions? And, you know, the answer is I have no idea. I mean, God may be way more complicated than four dimensions. This is just my idea of how I like to think about things and rationalize what I know about science with what I see in the Bible. But I think the most important point here is that you don't have to check your brain at the door when you walk into a church. You can be a thinking, scientifically-minded person and still believe in God. Mm-hmm. Right? And still have a strong faith in Jesus. Um, and so I think that's one of the things I'd like to be able to show people. Um, you know, I try to show my kids that these Bible, that the, you know, how these miracles might actually happen. But if, if I'm wrong, that's still cool. If it's in the Bible, then it's true. And that's good enough for me. I don't have to prove it to anybody. I don't have to understand it to, to believe it. But it's kind of fun for me to try to think it through. Does that make sense? So that's kind of the way I take uh, those kinds of things. And I like to come up with ways of thinking about it. I'm kind of a curious guy, so I'm always curious about, I wonder how God did that, right? Isn't that neat? Now, I'm not going to answer today, at least, any of these questions that you might have. Like, there are a lot of people who question big questions, like, you know, is the earth thousands of years old or millions of years old? Is there evolution? You know, is the Big Bang real? Does Adam and Eve have belly buttons, right? These are big, important questions, Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to try to argue those, because in my opinion, the Bible has a central theme, and the central theme is Jesus came down to earth and became flat to be with us so we could be in right relationship with God. That is the most important thing you can get out of the Bible. And anything else besides that is sort of secondary. And we can talk about it, we can have fun, we can debate things if you want, but that is the key. And if you get that right, everything else is kind of eh, secondary. So, I'm all done. Just soak that in. <laughs> or you'll be like me. You're going to get the podcast and listen again to try to digest all that. I, th- I think that's a great way of looking at it. Well, we're not trying to prove God. Dr. Tim Glass did not just prove God exists this morning. For those of you who are like, see, that proves it. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. That's why it's this thing called, <coughs> called faith. Mm-hmm. How do you maintain your faith in, in a culture, certainly you're surrounded by people who... Um, in the science world and in the culture we live in, are trying to eliminate God from the equation. How do you maintain that faith? You know, it's, it's funny. Um, you know, I, 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 certainly, I, mean, I, I, I really do 
uh, read a lot about science and, and a lot about science theories, and I, and, I, and I read these things where people talk about, you know, you, you really can't have both a faith and, and, a, and a scientific perspective. And I, I just don't buy that. I mean, I have always um, thought to myself that, you know, that there, to me at least, there's, you know, there's, there's definitely questions that you, you kind of ponder about, but there's no real disconnect. There are people who will say, you know, you, there's no, there is no God, and they're certain of it. But that takes about as much faith, I think, as saying that there is a God. I mean, I, we can talk about that some more at some level, but it really does take a lot of faith for someone to say, you know, I believe there's no God and, and it, it can't exist. I mean, there's no way to prove that scientifically. So to me, I just sort of, you know, kind of pat them on the back and say, yeah, yeah, you know, you can, you can, that's, that's, that is your faith, your belief. But for me, I certainly do follow Jesus and I'm good with that. So that's awesome. Thanks, Dr. Tim, for sharing with us today. I've certainly been challenged and, and I think I'm in more in awe of, of God having heard about Flatman. <laughs> Uh, and his <coughs> curvy counterpart. Mm-hmm. You should get a piano player for your classes. When I you can conclude, only imagine that'd be like. When you conclude a talk and you have a minstrel like Joel playing the music, and you'd say, I want you to study for that test. <laughs> uh your eyes closed and your head bowed. How many of you are going to study tonight for that quiz? You know. Anyway, that's just the uh, weird part of me thinking. Thanks again for your time today. You know what? I, let's give him a hand. Dr. Tim brought up a, a good point. You have to experience God. Whether you're a Christian who's trying to convince someone on the other side that God exists or whether you sit in this room today and you're not quite convinced, my challenge for you is simply to ask God to reveal himself. And I believe he's faithful that way. You know, Christianity, again, as a worldview is not about rules. Jesus didn't come to make bad people better. He came to bring dead people back to life. He came to transform you and me in a way, in a, in a dimension that we had previously been dead. I really do think Adam and Eve were probably living in that fourth dimension at some point in that creative, that perfect creation sense in Genesis. And by their own choice, eliminated that ability to see God for who he really was. Genesis talks about how Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the garden with the Lord. That's a dimension I just, I don't know that I understand, but I really want to. I think as I've stepped into faith, I've had those moments where I I felt like I was talking to God and he was talking to me and I was walking with him and he was showing me things. It's a dimension that some of my unbelieving friends don't quite understand. But maybe this morning you've been challenged. Perhaps today you'll start to think of a dimension that God might exist in and begin to explore that. Certainly after hearing Dr. Tim, it, it is certainly scientific to be curious and to explore and to ask questions and to begin to ask God to show himself to you and me. And tonight we're going to ask God to do that as we pray, as we commune with a dimension that we may not get in prayer, we enter into that dimension. We enter into that spiritual reality 
that we may not be able to see with our physical eyes, but certainly we can participate in. And so through prayer tonight at 6 p.m., I hope you'll join us. And we're going to ask ridiculous things of God. We're going to ask him to move mountains and heal diseases and do things that flat people can't do, but that he can do. So would you join me tonight? Would you, would you come and, and explore that, that dimension with me as we seek God for, for our uh, community and for our own, our own needs this, uh, this evening at 6 o'clock? Love to have you. Would you stand with me as I bless you as you leave this place today? We look forward to seeing you back here next week as we continue our series on Collide, and we'll have some more special guests next week as well. Father, bless your people as they go from this place today. I'm so in awe of who you are that the scriptures really uh, do uh, begin to unfold for us how inadequate our own words are to describe not only your creation, but who you are. And so as we wander about your creation today and throughout this week, would you cause our minds and our hearts to be in awe of you and the wonder that you are, that as much as we want to explain you, there's no way we could possibly even begin to touch that. But help us to praise and worship you as we explore the infinitely vast uh, person that you are that you intimately want to know us. We thank you that you provide that life through the person of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Hey, have a great week. We look forward to seeing you tonight. We're back here next week at C2. We are so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information about a deeper relationship with Christ, we would love to hear from you. Simply email nextsteps at c2church.com.